Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among the peoples. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. Good morning. Father Josh coined a very good phrase for us a few weeks ago, and the dean mentioned it last week, and I'm going to mention it again because it's just that good. Josh urged us to plug in and stay plugged into the Christian faith. He likened it to an electrical outlet. He called it the unseen reality. Plug in to the unseen reality. Well, in my first career, I was a stage lighting technician, so plugs and electricity were part of my life um, for many years. But before the career began, I had a lot of um, stage lighting experience at Valencia College. And one experience stands out among them all. I was master electrician on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and I was, we were there on a Saturday. The, this, the scenery crew was there. They, wanted, they were painting the scenery. And I was there getting the lights together for the hang. The shop manager asked me if I could get some more light onto the stage. And me, being the eager beaver that I am, said, absolutely. I grabbed a scoop light. I plugged it in, had it, and I ran over to the other side where the fly rail is. It's a metal rail that brings in scenery. And I hoisted my right leg up, and I took my, my right hand and grabbed the metal fly rail. And when I did, I immediately, a jolt went through my, my body and cemented my hand onto one of the, the rail and cemented my foot down. I couldn't move, and I could feel this jolt start, I mean, going through me. And I'm looking over at the people that are painting, and I'm going, inside I'm screaming, and nothing is coming out. And I'm thinking, I'm dying. There is a power in me that is greater than I. Fortunately for me, somebody was watching me, and they ran and got a two-by-four and came over and whacked the back of my knees and broke the circuit, and I fell down to the stage floor. Well, I will tell you, after that experience, I had a very healthy respect for the power of the unseen. I was thinking about this electricity. I mean, we don't all have that kind of an experience. And when I walk around my house or when we're here, everything about electricity seems very amiable. And it's useful, right? We can all agree that it's something that is part of us that we're dependent on. 50, I, I looked at a poll, 50% of people who were polled about their dependency on electricity said that two weeks after they didn't, wouldn't have electricity, they don't think they could survive. Another 75% out of that said after two months, they wouldn't be living. Well, I think they might be a little off, but that shows you how much we, we depend on um, electricity. Now, I don't go around my house looking, thinking about the power in the walls. I don't go around my house thinking that, um, that, uh, that I'm dependent on it. We just live our lives, right? We're desensitized to the power of the unseen in our walls, and, and 
I, I think too that we forget how powerful it is and we forget our dependence on that power. Our lessons today are gonna teach us what is scripturally, is, is the power of the unseen, what that unseen power does, and what our best response is to that power. In Jeremiah, we heard, verse 4 and 5, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, when I read those verses, I naturally am attracted to verse 5. I, I like them because they speak to me as a human. I tend to put myself into Scripture verses. When, when it says, God formed you, I think, God formed me, right? God knew me. Uh, God uh, consecrated me. God appointed me. But I submit to you that without verse 4, verse 5 is null and void. So verse 4 is really the weightier verse there. The word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, the word of the Lord is the operative word. It's the driver word. It's the force behind the action. Now, it's our natural tendency. Well, it's my natural tendency. I'm not going to speak for you. It's my natural tendency to just think about me, right? I, I, you go along in life, and everything is about ourselves. I remember my first year in seminary. I took a class called Vocation in Ministry. I read a book called The Call, Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose in Your Life by Oz Guinness. It was one of those books designed to get us thinking about what we were getting into. <laughs> the major takeaway for me in that book is the fact that my calling is connected to the caller. Now, I know it's simple, don't judge me, but it was a big aha for me. <laughs> my calling is connected to the caller. Without the caller, there is no calling. Just as a lamp in a living room that isn't plugged in is not going to give any light. The real life-giving power resides in the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is the unseen power, and we are called to plug in and stay plugged in. Okay, so what does the word, this un, the word of the Lord, this unseen power, do? Well, I spent some time reading this past week through every verse that contained the phrase, the word of the Lord. It occurs 381 times in Scripture. And as I read through each and every one of those, I was struck by God's initiative to be in relationship with us. Right? It's an, it, it seemed like it was an incessant drumbeat call for humans to relate to God in the way that God designed. The one who created us, it seemed to me, was slowly but thoroughly defining and teaching his creatures what, a healthy, what healthy boundaries are for participating in a flourishing relationship with our creator. 
In the Old Testament, the word of the Lord is revealed through prophets and judges and kings. He comes again and again and again through these people. And reading through that, that, those verses, I got this real intense sense of the solidness of the word of the Lord, the weightiness of the word of the Lord, the meaning and purposeful, um, uh, and, and it's also creative, the word of the Lord. But Hebrews 4.12 gives us a succinct testimony of what the word of the Lord is. It says, quote, indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing until it divides from spirit, joints from marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creatures hidden, but all are naked. All are laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we all must render an account. I remember being given my first Bible. I wasn't churched. I think I've said that. I think every time I get up here, I tell you that. Uh, it's part of my story. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But I remember being given my first Bible. I was like 12 or 13. I was given to me by a base chaplain in Iwakuni, Japan. This is it. I still have it. I keep it in my grandmother's. Um, it's, it's displayed in my office at home. And I remember holding this when I was 12 or 13. I was given it. I'd never, I didn't know what was in it. But I was holding it. And I just would do this. And I was like looking at it. And I was going... Inside, I was thinking, man, there's something really special about this. I don't know what it is, but there's something special about this. I somehow knew deep down inside that if I could understand this, the totality of it, or maybe what the message was, it would change my life. I had a respect and a wonder that I can, only, uh, I can only think that it was the Lord. The word of the Lord, when listened to, when believed, will change the insides of a person. It has me, and I'm sure most of you sitting here. Those who respond to this relational call, the one who says yes, I want to be in a relationship with you, God, are changed by the word of the Lord. The book of Hebrews, it's a word of exhortation to, and it's addressed to believers who are in danger of becoming lax in their commitment. And so it was written to revive and revitalize their commitment. Our specific text this week is the final contrast in a letter of contrasts. Moses was contrasted with Jesus. Um, the new covenant, the old covenant was contrasted with the, old, the new covenant. Uh, Melchizedek priesthood next to the Levitical priesthood. And the contrast that we're looking at now is between Mount Sinai, that where the law was given, and Mount Zion the ultimate city of the living God, which, in which Jesus believers today are citizens. 
This is the city. We are citizens of this, of this city, and this city cannot be shaken. Let's take a look at the contrast. It's, it is a word that speaks, and it's well worth listening to. Mount Sinai, the mountain that cannot be touched, a blazing fire and darkness, gloom and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg, don't speak another word, for they could not endure the order that was given. We can't either. If we touch that mountain, we die. If you'll, um, Exodus 19, 16 through 23, it's found in your pew Bible on page, um, on page, sorry, page 51. It actually is able to give us a flavor for what this Mount Sinai piece looks like. Exodus 19, 16 through 23. Permit me to read it. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of trumpets so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord to, to look, otherwise many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people are not permitted to come, go up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain, keep it holy. The word of the Lord. The people couldn't listen to Mount Sinai. The people couldn't plug in. Can we say that there was a nick in the insulation of their cord and the power of God would have killed them? They couldn't endure the word. They couldn't be in connection or a connected relationship with the one who created them. They were separated by sin and death dead in sin. But the good news is that God is a God who sees and hears, a God who values listening. And the word of the Lord came to us. We who could not approach God, we who could not plug in to God, he came to us and he brought Mount Zion with him, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. He insulated us with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. 
so that we could plug in. Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, he, he sprinkled a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, Abel's blood cries out in vengeance against his murderer. The blood of Jesus cries out, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, the word of the Lord used to come through prophets, but now he speaks to us through a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. The son is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he, not anyone else, by any other name, on earth or in heaven, he, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, he sustains all things by his word. That's power. That's power. So what does the word of the Lord do? What does the unseen power do? He sustains all things. That word sustain, it can be understood as a woman who is pregnant with child. In the hug of his womb, we are carried and more cared for. We are nourished. We are grown into who we are meant to be. In the hug of his womb. Virginia Satter, a world-renowned family therapist, is famous for saying, we need four hugs for survival a day. Four hugs a day, that's survival. We need eight hugs. Eight hugs is going to give us some maintenance. We can be maintained with eight. But in order to grow, we need 12 hugs a day, minimum. 12 hugs a day. Jesus the word of the Lord invites us a bare, a people who are bare copper wire to be insulated by his love and grace, to rest in him, to be provided with all that we need for more than survival, more than survival, more than maintenance. He wants us to grow into full maturity, grow in him. But we have to be plugged in. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, right? The life-giving response, our proper response to the saving grace of God the Son is not to refuse to listen. It's to plug in and receive that living word daily. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, be sustained by his word of life. 
living in the insulation of his redeeming womb of goodness. That we together may be a light to this city. It's never just for us. It's never just for us. It's for all those who are in darkness who need light. That we may be the lamp in the living room in Orlando. His life, the word of life that insulates us, that unseen power that insulates us, that cares for us, that grows us, has far greater worth than anything else we can spend our time on. Amen.